Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to join us. I am the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. We aim to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands of you, the HR professional. And these tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. Luckily, we have just the person to help us today. As Vice President of Talent Solutions, Mark Labosco is responsible for leading the global pre-sales, sales, and customer success team for LinkedIn's talent solution business, which helps employers find, attract, and hire the best people. Mark also leads a number of company-wide diversity, inclusion, and belonging initiatives, also known as DIBs. Previously, Mark was the VP of LinkedIn Learning Solutions, where he was part of the acquisition team of lynda.com, and then led the integration and overall strategy for a B2B business. Prior to LinkedIn, Mark held a number of sales roles at SS&C Advent Software, Mark received a BA in psychology from the University of Boulder, Colorado. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today, Mark. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate you having me uh, on, on today's podcast. Absolutely. How about we uh, jump right in? Let's do it. LinkedIn is in a great position to talk to both job seekers and companies about what they're looking for in employees and in employers. Uh, what is a the theme you're seeing this year? Yeah, Jim. Yeah, we, we are definitely in a unique position, both based upon, you know, the information that's happening on LinkedIn on a daily basis, what people are kind of posting, what people are sharing, what people are liking. But with our global trends report this year, we did see a number of uh, kind of key insights. And, you know, one of the, the major themes we've seen is the relationship between employers and employees is really shifting. But by surveying uh, many of the companies, we know that not all HR and hiring practices have caught up uh, with a number of these shifts. You know, what we do know from the research is professionals are definitely expecting more from their employer. They want more transparency. They want more accountability. And ultimately, they're looking for more trust uh, with their uh, employer. But from the company's perspective, or I should say, and from the company's perspective, you know, they're not just expecting their employees and the candidates that they're hiring to have the technical skills uh, to be able to do the job. They're also looking for them to have the right soft skills. So whether that be to think creatively, uh, to be able to collaborate more effectively, and just in general to adapt quickly in a world that is changing by the day given technological advancements. Um, soft skills are, are tricky to get a handle on from a candidate in a recruiting scenario. Someone might be nervous or, uh, you know, they're not really given an opportunity to, to lead or, or to, you know, exercise those skills necessarily. Do you have any recommendations to help companies identify these skills earlier in potential candidates? Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, from the report, you know, there's a couple of kind of insights and can share some thoughts uh, with LinkedIn. And, uh, you know, just taking a step back, you know, soft skills uh, are critical uh, and difficult uh, to assess uh, when you are interviewing uh, candidates. You know, in the report, uh, close to 90 or 92% of uh, talent professionals agree that uh, soft skills matter as much as hard skills. So, Understanding, assessing, and hiring for soft skills is critically important. 
but as you mentioned, you know, most, most folks struggle. Uh, you know, about 60% of professionals responded that they do struggle with this. And the majority of uh, hiring managers and companies are relying on things that uh, work with different effects. So things like behavioral questions as kind of the key way to assess soft skills. And then other things in an interview like reading body language or asking uh, situational uh, questions. Now, for some that have been kind of um, hiring for, for years and are extremely effective at these, they're, they're still effective. But the majority of folks didn't feel like they were as effective as they'd like to see. And because of this, uh, you know, there's obviously, you know, major, major, uh, you know, loss of time and money, uh, you know, because they're not able to, you know, accurately kind of assess these skills. In the report, uh, it was about 90% of um, hiring managers felt that bad hires uh, were lacking in, in soft skills. And so, you know, what, what are companies doing? Uh, so in the report, uh, it looked like close to about 20% of companies are now either using or testing different kind of AI-powered solutions, uh, which consist of things like games uh, to measure cognitive and emotional traits. Uh, you know, what we're seeing at LinkedIn is, you know, and, and for me, you know, I lead a, a large global organization and, and hire hundreds of uh, several hundred people a year, both new hires and kind of backfill. And we, too, are kind of testing uh, kind of some AI solutions here. But we're also continuing to uh, focus on, you know, ensuring our hiring managers and we have a lot of you know, first time hiring managers are just really good at interviewing, uh, still leveraging some of the kind of quote unquote older ways uh, to interview, like using uh, behavioral questions for assessing soft skills. Those are uh, those are great ideas. Um, earlier, you mentioned that, you know, employers were understanding that they have to they're not going to get the perfect candidate that they might have to train them and whether it's in soft skills or other skills and you know that that uh that kind of connects with you know the problem with there not being enough talent out there or the 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 so-called talent war you know what what kind of risks are involved with hiring someone that you think you can train but you're you're not sure and do you think that those risks are worth it um you know, I, I'd say from for my, my personal opinion kind of on that one, you know, um, I think there are a lot of people with uh, a lot of high potential uh, that, you know, may not have the hard or technical uh, skills to start, but they do have both the aptitude, attitude and soft skills uh, to be able to be kind of trained up. And so one of the things that we, we do at LinkedIn is ensure we are taking kind of quote unquote risks. Uh, this particularly is important with uh, diversity candidates, you know, when working in tech, you know, one of the, the challenges you have if you're looking to build a diverse workforce uh, and you're recruiting purely from tech companies, uh, you're typically going to get folks that look the same and think the same and have the same backgrounds. So you know, opening kind of the aperture of thinking about uh, candidates that, you know, may not have the technical skills or industry expertise to start, but can be taught those technical skills uh, over time could actually have a bigger impact uh, on the business because of the diversity of thought they bring to the team and the business. Uh, and what I personally found is, you know, you, you can't make that bet with, with all candidates, but if you're not, you know, thinking about diversity of who you're hiring, and recognizing you, you can train kind of technical skills, um, that uh, you're going to miss out on some really good talent. That's a great answer. Um, 
Do you think that work flexibility is a perk or an essential part of running a business and meeting employee needs? Should companies be more open to embracing flex work? Yeah, I mean, I think every company is different and unique. And so I think every company's got to kind of make the call based upon, you know, the, the strategy of the company, the culture that they've created, the uh, location of employees. There's a lot of factors that go in. So it's not uh, one size fits all. But there, there's some reality of kind of what's happening in the world. You know, first off, you know, technology, you know, with video conferencing, messaging apps, you know, ubiquitous fast Wi-Fi. You know, employers do have more reasons than ever to explore a, a more flexible uh, workplace, you know, allowing employees to choose where and how they work, you know, as, and, um, you know, companies are, are indeed kind of following that, you know, on LinkedIn jobs. So, you know, we have over uh, 20 million jobs on LinkedIn today. Uh, we saw a 78% increase in uh, the words workplace flexibility being mentioned in our job posts since 2016. You know, and with that increase, we have seen a disproportionate amount of that happening within the tech industry, uh, leading with kind of workplace flexibility options, uh, far outpacing, you know, finance, healthcare, manufacturing, and other industries. You know, and, and kind of despite myths or kind of anecdotal feedback, you know, the research does show that, you know, offering more flexible work arrangements um, are better for work-life balance. Uh, and in addition, uh, productivity generally increases and turnover uh, generally decreases. So, you know, the data would suggest that it is something that all companies should look into. And then whether you implement or not needs to kind of go back to the strategy of the company um, and also what role kind of talent uh, plays, which, you know, for us, LinkedIn is kind of front and center. Um, you know, and, and the changes, in addition, from a tech perspective, you know, are, are coming from other areas. Diversity could be another kind of area of, uh, of the population in, in the workforce. You know, for example, uh, through the research, women are 22% more likely than men uh, to cite flexible work arrangements as uh, very important when considering a job. Let's uh, switch gears to uh, workplace harassment. Obviously, last year we heard an awful lot, you know, with the Me Too movement. Um, and uh, it was just a watershed moment, but you know it's still a major issue for a lot of a lot of employers. You know, and it's hard on the employees, and it's hard on people's legal funds, and it's just all around. You know, uh, something that you know I strongly believe just really needs to be fixed, uh, whatever it takes. How how can companies take action to be part of the solution for sexual harassment or harassment in general? Yeah, so it's a great question, and, and to your point, you know, it, it does feel like there's been kind of a, a watershed moment uh, over the past, you know, year or so, um, you know, given me too, and a number of other things. And so, you know, there's a set of things I guess I think about as it relates to what we saw in the research, and then there's a set of things I can share as it relates to my opinion. Uh, you know, being kind of uh, you know a leader here at LinkedIn, you know, managing an org of uh, a few thousand people, and um, working at a company where talent is our number one priority and diversity, inclusion, and belonging is our number one talent priority. So, you know, first off, it relates to the research. Uh, you know, it is one of the kind of four major trends that, that we saw in this year's global trends report, uh, global talent trends report. Uh, we saw, uh, and then in addition to that, just on LinkedIn itself, you know, we saw a 71% increase in workplace harassment content being shared on LinkedIn. 
Um, you know, and this kind of openness to having a conversation about, uh, you know, anti-harassment within the workplace was also, um, you know, identified in the, the research where 80% of talent professionals say their company has recently taken or is currently planning to take some anti-harassment uh, action. Uh, ironically, like the most kind of uh, cited actions that are being taken is about uh, ensuring existing policies are more well-known. And that includes ways for folks to be able to share kind of feedback uh, if there are issues that need to, uh, to be reported. Um, so what are, what are companies to do on this front? You know, that certainly could be, you know, one area to start, you know, revisit and where necessary rethink uh, existing policies and ensure they're communicated. Uh, listening to your employees to kind of weigh in and genuinely go in to listen uh, to how things are going and, and where things can be improved. And then, you know, provide, you know, access to, to different training curriculum, whether kind of developed in-house or, you know, leveraging kind of courses uh, uh, that are online. So as an example, LinkedIn Learning uh, has a course called Preventing Harassment in the Workplace. So that's kind of the, the research what we're seeing on LinkedIn. You know, my, my, my perspective on this, you know, as you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, in addition to leading our talent solutions, uh, uh, you know, uh, customer facing teams globally, I'm also part of uh, a number of company-wide DIBS initiatives, diversity, inclusion, and belonging. And I'm also the executive sponsor of our uh, Lat uh, Latino and Latina employee research group. And one of the, I'll share just a few thoughts. You know, I think at the end of the day, the culture that's created in the company starts at the top with the leadership of the company. And if your executive team and their direct reports and going down the organization are not bought in around the importance of building a diverse workforce, building an environment where no matter your backgrounds, you feel like your opinions are uh, treated equally, and that all of your employees feel like they belong, you can come up with all the best policies in the world. It won't really make a huge difference. You may be covering your bases so you don't you know, have lawsuits. I'm sure that's great and important. But if you want to create real culture change and want to create an environment where things like harassment won't happen, uh, it starts at the top with getting a leadership team that talks about it, uh, uh, highlights it in priorities and walks the walk. They promote against it. They do performance management against it. And they can create a consistent drumbeat around the importance of creating an inclusive environment. That's the thing that, without a doubt, has helped us make the most progress uh, kind of on our uh, you know, overall DIBS initiatives within the company. Yeah, those, are, uh, those are great ideas. I mean, it's, a, it's consistent with everything that I read about making the culture you know real for accepting and understanding these complex issues um your uh, your global talent trends report found that 54 percent of talent professionals agree that pay transparency is extremely important in shaping the future of recruiting and talent uh can you just explain to me why this trend is so important for the future yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and uh, to your point, yes, it, it was definitely cited as one of the, the major trends. But, you know, the, the, the trend of more transparency in the world is, you know, a trend that will only continue and accelerate, whether it be, you know, about 
companies, their restaurants, uh, you know, flight information, jobs, you name it, right? So transparency will only accelerate. Uh, and so as you think about that and what it's historically been like for a kind of job seeker in particular uh, to better understand uh, what it's like to work from a company to how much will they pay for working there. Uh, we've seen that trend for a little while, but it does feel like there's kind of a, was a tipping point, you know, this past year through the report. And so, you know, there, there are a number of different factors that kind of go into a decision about, uh, you know, accepting a new job opportunity. And, and no doubt salary is a significant one. And so, as I said, it's really not surprising that this is now becoming kind of a, a key topic kind of in the workplace. And uh, pay transparency has historically been one of the hardest conversations for a job seeker uh, to have with a recruiter or hiring manager until really far along in the process. Uh, but studies show that the benefits of pay transparency uh, outweigh these fears. And so in the research, you know, close to 30% of uh, talent and uh, talent professionals and hiring managers uh, surveyed shared that they do uh, share salary ranges. And of those who did share, uh, close to 70% uh, share pay with candidates early on in the process. That's 60% uh, share with existing employees. And uh, this, this last stat is kind of the most interesting where uh, close to 10% are now sharing publicly on, on job posts. And that's with the employer providing that. And so I think you'll only see this trend uh, uh, continue. And, um, you know, and there's other benefits too, you know, it streamlines negotiations uh, with candidates. And so this is something you're just going to see more and more of, you know, LinkedIn's position here is that uh, we want to increase transparency as well uh, for both sides of the marketplace, uh, for both seekers as well as employers. And so over the past few years, we've also been kind of investing heavily in creating more pay transparency uh, for job seekers uh, on LinkedIn uh, through, uh, through both job posts as well as through a uh, LinkedIn salary tool. Well, this has been fantastic. I, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to go over the report with me and offer your insights and ideas. Yeah, well, thanks, thanks for having me. Uh, I was really excited to, uh, to be invited to the podcast. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you uh, and the, your viewers, uh, listeners listening to the podcast and reading the report. Fantastic. It's been a pleasure. Um, listeners, we are always interested in suggestions you might have for what HR Works should cover next. Please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast. With any thoughts or concerns, uh, ideas you have in general for the podcast, or if you just want to say hi. Uh, this is Jim Davis with HR Works. Have a great day, everybody.